Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back into the Nick Bob podcast. I was away for a week on some business stuff, but I am back now and man I got some catching up to do on a lot of things that have happened in the world of Nebraska so this pod is I guess kind of a makeshift take a palooza if you will where I just have have a bunch of thoughts on a bunch of different things but I'm gonna hit the Miles Farmer stuff the Bob Wagger stuff the Aaron Eulis story with Nebraska basketball but I want to start with with something that I just love, and that is the BTN bus tour. I just love it. I think it's one of the better things that BTN does where, you know, the the main football crew, Howard Griffith, Jared Leonardo, they, they hit all the different schools during the month of August, do a little report on what they see from, from the camp, and then also do some interviews. And the BTN crew was just at Nebraska. They had a 40-minute show on – what they saw at camp on Nebraska, and as well as some interviews with Jeff Sims, Marcus Satterfield, Tony White, Matt Rule, uh, Ty Robinson as well, who shouted out Jason Peter in the interview, which just warmed my heart <laughs> as we, you know, nicknamed him, Bo and I have nicknamed him Jason Peter Jr. Uh, but I just, I think there's there's always a lot in these BTN bus tours, and I, I get a lot out of them. So, there's some BTN bus tour inspired takes as well in this pod. So there's a lot to get to. And let's start with some of the BTN uh, bus tour Nebraska stuff. So uh, this is just kind of a bunch of different things here. Jared DiNardo, one of the one of the observations he had was one that that I had talked to some people uh, and they had a similar observation regarding Jeff Sims. DiNardo said that Sims is huge and, and a specimen and that in fact, that Sims kind of almost looks like a big running back when he tucks it and runs. But I found this really interesting from from Jerry DiNardo. DiNardo said that he thought Sims would run maybe two times a quarter. So maybe eight, that would be eight total runs for the game. That surprises me. And being in the world of television as an analyst and and you know doing studio work and and doing games my guess is Donardo didn't just he didn't just pull that number out my guess is he had conversations with whether it's Rule or Satterfield or whoever at practice and he got floated that that number how oh, we're going to run him two times a, a quarter maybe eight a game something like that so i guess for me, when i heard that number i'm like oh first of all i don't know if he's pulling that number just out of his you know what and then the other thing is, it surprised me to hear that low of a number. I guess if you're giving me an over-under for carries for Jeff Sims per game this year, and you set that number at eight runs per game, I'm taking the over. Again, I think his running is going to be a big part of this offense, and quite frankly, at least initially, it's it's what Jeff Sims does best. I mean, you talk about plan to your player's strengths, I think that's letting Sims carry the ball a little bit. Because another thing that that 
that Jared Donato brought up was how it appeared like the Nebraska run game was ahead of the Nebraska passing game right now. And that isn't too terribly surprising, given the depth, given the depth at running back being greater than the depth at wide receiver. But it's also because, as Donato pointed out, Sims is still getting used to the passing game in this system. So again, I think Nebraska is going to lean on the run game more especially early in the season. And I think that means more design carries than just two per game or two per quarter, eight per game for Jeff Sims. So that was something that struck me right away. The other thing that Jared Denardo and Howard Griffith talked about was was huddling up, the, the fact that Nebraska is going to huddle up. And some of this stems from, you know, the comments that Marcus Satterfield make made a couple of months ago about how he's in a crusade for the huddle and the huddle is like the heartbeat and the essence of football and all those sorts of things, right? So that kind of is a reoccurring thing when people talk to Marcus Satterfield. But but Denardo and Griffith talked about how huddling up can allow you to be better at salting games away late with your four-minute offense, chewing clock, those kinds of things. And maybe that helps with closing out some of these one-score games that Nebraska has struggled with. There have been times that over the course of the last five years under Frost, where one of the things Nebraska needed to do was just slow down, like really chew some clock. I actually thought last year, I think it was the Rutgers game in particular on the road, I thought Mickey Joseph and and Mark Whipple did a good job of managing the clock late in the game. And maybe huddling just kind of by its very nature, forces you to be better in those sorts of scenarios and closing out games. Um, but this was also something that Matt Rule talked about in his sit-down interview, where Rule was asked about some keys during training camp to know that his team is ready. And Matt Rule referenced the close losses over the last five years and how important, number one, conditioning is in that regard, and how important practicing a whole bunch of situational football things is important as well. Not not surprising to hear that. I've talked about that. I remember talking about that with Barrett uh, when he was on my pod a couple of weeks ago. But again, I, 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 I like that this is, top, this is top of mind because this has been the defining thing that has helped, held Nebraska back for the last five years. Again, 7-25 and 25 in one-score games over the last five seasons. Uh, the other thing with the huddle that was discussed that's a little thing, but I totally get it. And when you huddle up, the quarterback has to get used to calling the play, verbalizing and calling the play. Most high school quarterbacks haven't really huddled up, and nowadays most play calls are flashcards or signals or, or all those kinds of things. Very rarely... Do you see, I shouldn't say very rarely, but rarely do you see a true huddle where the quarterback is calling out the play to his to the huddle in college. And what's interesting is, you know, we talk about quarterbacks having to get used to getting under center, taking snaps, right? That quarterback center exchange being smooth and and an adjustment for some quarterbacks. Well, I also think actually having to call the play to the team in a huddle is a little bit of an adjustment too. And I'm telling you, if you've never done it, it can be it can be a lot. You know, because a play can be a, a paragraph long, right? You know, 
West right slot, 72 protection, Z bingo, U split, dummy count on one. Ready? You know, like, twins right, speed motion, 58 toss sweep, crack back on two. You know, like, these things can be a mouth, and some of this stuff can be more of a mouthful than that. I remember even for me at a high school level 20 years ago, this was something that was, was it, it's more challenging than you think it is. Now, I felt like, because of my ability to speak and communicate, this was a strength of mine. But nevertheless, the longer the play calls got, the harder it was, right? The, the play clock's running. The play call comes in. It's a big third down. It's maybe a mouthful. You got to verbalize it clearly. You got to be loud. You got to be concise. You got to make sure the linemen get it. The receivers get it. The running back gets it. Everybody is on the same page. You can't be mumbled mouth with that. You have to be good in those spots. And this was a high school playbook, for crying out loud, 20 years ago. I'd imagine a college playbook and those play calls in 2023 are pretty long-winded. So I just I found this interesting as well. So Jeff Sims getting used to getting under center more. Remember, those quarterback center exchanges were sloppy in the spring game. And Sims has to get used to verbalizing the play in the huddle as well. Next thing from the BT and bus tour, man, I don't know that maybe I'm crazy here. I'll be interested to see if people are vibing with me at the end of this take, because this one was kind of a major aha moment for me or an epiphany. Maybe that's what I don't know. I'm not quite sure, but either way, this, this thought and subsequent light bulb moment for me was exciting and very interesting. So, Jerry DiNardo and Herod, Howard Griffith were, were talking about the 3-3-5 three, the three, three, defense. And Jerry DiNardo talked about the challenges of preparing for the 3-3-5 three, three, from an offensive perspective. And how it's tough to prepare for and it's tough to simulate by your scout team. And hearing him say that, it kind of hit me. And what hit me was, okay... This 3-3-5, this unique defensive system that, that most teams don't run, maybe this could kind of be like running the option for defense. Let me explain. So if you've listened to me over the last handful of years, I've always felt like Nebraska needs to be different to really have success. I think they need to be unique. I think to a certain degree, um, amongst a bunch of other things, but I think that uniqueness, that being different, helped Nebraska over the course of three decades, and in particular in the 90s. They were different. The option was a unique offense that made it hard to play against them and prepare for them when you had Nebraska on your schedule, especially out of conference in a one-game scenario, a la Miami 94, Florida 95, Tennessee in 97. And while I've always had that school of thought and still do, I've always focused that thought on the offense. Got to be different, and that starts with the offense. Got to be unique, and that's with the offense. Well, maybe that's the defense now. The option 
was unique and tough to prepare for for defenses. That was a factor that I think helped Nebraska back in the day. Now, in 2023, the 3-3-5 could be tough to prepare for and unique to play against for offenses, which could really help Nebraska today. And that thought had me excited. I've kind of I've never been more into the 335 and Tony White because of this school of thought. Blocking schemes, blocking assignments, all of it is really hard to prepare for with the 335. And hearing Denardo lay out all of that really opened my eyes for some reason to this realization. Not that I didn't know that it was a unique defense and it was kind of uh a little a little unorthodox to to go against. I, I, I certainly knew all of that, but I, I for some reason it took Donardo saying it for it to click for the preparation aspect of it and being the unique, different component that I think is important for Nebraska. All kind of popped. I, again, I think Nebraska needs to be different, needs to be unique. The lack of recruiting base, the weather, et cetera, all make it hard for Nebraska to – just be like everyone else and expect to have success and sustain success. Maybe the 335 is that different uniqueness that I've been looking for. I just, I love this thought. I really think there's something to that. Next thing that stood out to me from the BTN bus tour. So I thought, I thought this quote from Matt Rule uh, was really good. He was asked... I thought this was kind of interesting. He was Rule was asked by I think it was it was either I think it was Jared Denardo that asked him this. He was asked in a way that was almost insinuating that Rule was like pandering to the state of Nebraska or placating to the state of Nebraska and its fans when talking about being physical and running the ball and huddling up and using a fullback and all that. So Rule when answering that question, first of all, he said that, you know, he said that he's not saying or doing any of that stuff to placate or pander to anyone. But here was the meat of the quote. And the quote is, this is who we are. This is who I was at Temple. I'll never forget when I came to see Trev, I saw Admiral Ted Carter. And I remember him saying to me, Matt, I just want you to build the team you had at Temple. And that was my favorite time probably in coaching. I love playing football that way. It's what we want. It's what the administration wants. And it's certainly what the fans want. When you try to do something that's not really who you are, you're never going to be great at it. This is who we are. That's a powerful answer as it pertains to kind of him like, hey, man, you really mean it? You want to be physical? You really want to run the ball? You're really going to use a fullback? You're really going to huddle up? You're really going to try and beat people up in the trenches? That's a powerful answer. And one that I think should be exciting for Husker fans. But hearing Matt Rule and even Ted Carter reference Temple as kind of the blueprint of identity and toughness that they want to instill at Nebraska, that got me to thinking about something Barrett Rude said on my podcast in a conversation we had a few weeks ago. So when I asked Barrett about Matt Rule and, and 
Barrett brought up that when Barrett was at Central Florida with Frost, early on, they played Temple under Matt Rule and lost. And Barrett said that that game against Temple was by far the most physical game they played all year. By far the most physical game they played all year. That's a telling quote from Barrett. For him, an opposing coach, to point out that when they played rules Temple team, that it was the most physical game they played all season that year, and then to hear Rule referencing that he wants to be physical and that Ted Carter and, and Rule are bringing up Temple as you know the identity and blueprint that they won, that's almost kind of like a real-time fact check, you know? Like, okay, Ted Carter's talking about Temple, Rule's talking about Tempo, Rule's also talking about being physical, and then Barrett coached against Matt Rule's Temple team back in the day and said, hey, it was the most physical game they played in all year. I'm like, okay, this is all kind of lining up. So I just I, I thought that was a really powerful quote. And then when kind of it spurred the thought of what Barrett Rude told me a, a, a week or so ago, I really like what that picture kind of looks like. Just thought that was good. Last BTN-inspired thought. Jared Donardo said he's optimistic about the offensive and defensive line, said the O-line depth was the best it's been in three years, and then he also said that he really likes how the defensive line can run. said he left feeling like Nebraska was going to be pretty good at the line of scrimmage. Just wanted to say that because, man, if that feeling turns out to be true, that obviously bodes extremely well for this year and beyond. Okay. That's it for the BTN bus tour. A couple of eye-opening stats I heard. I guess this one was from the BTN bus tour. Uh, then, then it was from a story I read from Mitch Sherman. The first one is on Jeff Sims. So Jeff Sims had 31 turnovers in 24 games at Georgia Tech. Jeff Sims averages the most turnovers per game of any active FBS player who's played in at least 15 games. That's not a very good stat to hear. And certainly I hope that I hope that trend changes. Obviously it better change or Nebraska's probably in for a long season. But it's wild when I heard that stat. It is it is wild to me how seemingly over the last 10 to 12 years Nebraska has somehow been a magnet for turnover-prone quarterbacks. Taylor Martinez had a big fumble issue. Tommy Armstrong, if you remember, in 2015, was second in the country in interceptions. Certainly, Adrian Martinez had a major turnover problem. And now, Nebraska is looking at Jeff Sims, who comes to Lincoln with a major turnover issue. It's just interesting how the coaches can change and the systems can change and the quarterbacks can change. Yet the turnover issues from that quarterback spot have remained a constant for the most part. Just fascinating. But certainly that 
that Jeff Sims stat is a concerning one. 31 turnovers in 24 games at Georgia Tech. Sims averages the most turnovers per game of any active FBS player who's played in at least 15 games. Let's hope that stat gets addressed. The second stat was from Mitch Sherman of The Athletic on Nebraska's roster. How about this? So it's almost like when I when I read the stat and then I heard Mitch Sherman talking about it on Unsportsmanlike Conduct, I almost still don't believe it. Like, it's almost one of those things, like, I read it, I heard it, I just, it's almost, I still am like, I don't know if I believe it. And the stat is as follows. 101 of the 137 players on Nebraska's roster are freshmen and sophomores. Let that sink in and let me say it again. 101 of the 137 players on Nebraska's roster are freshmen and sophomores. I'm not even sure how to sort out my thoughts after reading that and hearing that and thinking about that. I mean, first of all, it shows you all the roster movement in the moment for the program and how this has been more of a roster flip than maybe people even realized. The second thing is, maybe we all need to take that into consideration and the youth on this roster when projecting the the season this year, right? Young usually doesn't win in the Big Ten. And then lastly, I do think it probably bodes well for the future if Rule can get some continuity with those young guys and get them to stay in Lincoln for three to four years. It's hard to achieve some continuity if, man, if you could take that young group and really bring them up together three, four years, be pretty good. Just a very eye-opening stat from Mitch Sherman and one that is certainly great food for thought. Okay, the Miles Farmer situation. So, one of the bigger stories in the first week of training camp for Nebraska is, you know, Miles Farmer was suspended and then hit the transfer portal. And things kind of happened fast. Second leading tackler last year with 73 tackles. Pretty talented. He's experienced. It's a pretty substantial loss, relatively speaking. I think you could make an argument that Miles Farmer was the most talented dude in this in that secondary. But I will also say a couple of things here. Number one, Farmer did really struggle in the first part of last season. That that happened, right? Like, those games happened. And even though it can get blamed on Frost and Shenander or whatever, he did struggle a little bit early on. So there's that. The second thing, at least that position group, the secondary, has some depth and talent and experience already in it. Quentin Newsom, Buford, Hartzog, Isaac Gifford, those guys are all pretty talented and have some experience under their belt. I guess I'm just saying that of all the position groups that had the depth to be able to handle someone leaving, I guess the secondary was best equipped to handle it. And number three, which is maybe the most important, I actually think Matt Rule, even if he didn't, if it wasn't totally intentional, I think he sent a message with how this whole thing played out to his, his locker room. So Matt Rule announced that Miles Farmer was suspended from the team indefinitely due to, quote, not meeting the standard of the program. 
Rule said basically the first media after the first day of fall camp it was, would have been Monday of the first day of fall fall camp or training camp that the quote the ball is in his court on a potential return to the Cornhuskers. Rule said, quote, I love Miles. He's a competitive kid. It's so hard when you have a new coach, right? They have a different standards than you're used to. I get that. We've been patient with a lot of guys. We'll see what happens with Miles. We'd love for him to be here, but whatever he wants to do, I respect him as a man. Whatever he wants to do, I understand. So I just think this was handled pretty pretty well, right? And the reality is, this is kind of the big take as I kind of land the plane with it. When you're trying to set a culture, a better culture, and you're the leader, and you're trying to get people to buy in, your word and your actions must align. You will lose credibility on a variety of levels if you speak of a standard for the players and you either A, don't enforce that standard, or B, have different standards for different people. The standard needs to be the standard for it to work. I think Rule kind of sent a message with suspending Farmer for not upholding the standard. And Rule, in going down that path, was willing to lose Farmer to uphold the standard. The rest of the team sees that. And they probably think, okay, Coach Rule's serious about this. And for it to be Farmer, a returning starter, and the second leading tackler from last year, it shows you It doesn't matter who you are or how good you are. Nobody is above the standard. I think this is an important thing to establish early on. So even though it hurts to lose Farmer, and let's not poo-poo the loss of Farmer either. I think it's a fairly big one. We all love to do this thing that... This person's great when they're on, they're on the team, and if they leave, they're like, hey, it wasn't even that good. Eh, Miles Farmer, pretty good player. So I think it hurts. And even though it hurts to lose Farmer, I think there is a silver lining in the message set to the team in establishing credibility as a leader. The other big news, there was a handful of things, was the Aaron Euless news out of Nebraska basketball. So the Iowa transfer point guard Aaron Euless is suspended in a story connected to the Iowa and Iowa State gambling investigations that were going on. In this story, Euless made nearly 2,000 bets and bet a total of nearly $35,000 and used a fake name while doing it. It is believed that at least one bet was on an Iowa game. Obviously, he was on that team. And over 740 of the nearly 2,000 bets from Euless came when he was under the legal betting age in Iowa. So this is a big story. And 
Ulysses is suspended for the moment, and Ulysses could face a permanent NCAA ban with all of this. I would say things really don't look very – I'd say things look really bleak, and that might be putting it politely and, and optimistically that Aaron Ulysses is going to play basketball for Nebraska this year. And, man, this is a really big blow to Nebraska in a critical year for Fred Hoiberg. You know, I was saying all last spring, as Nebraska kept missing out on point guards in the transfer portal, the Nebraska's point guard situation was extremely concerning. Nebraska finally landed Ulysses pretty late in the spring. And even though I don't think Ulysses is a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, he's a solid, experienced point guard who has real Big Ten experience. So to potentially now lose Ulysses, it hurts. Because even when you think about Nebraska's ball handling situation a year ago, keep in mind, Derek Walker was kind of used as a point center. So he could handle the ball, break press, break a press, pass, distribute. Nebraska really doesn't have that option on paper right now. And basketball can be tough if you can't handle the ball and pass the ball. So for me, it kind of, I feel like all signs continue to point to this team having to be a defensive-led team again. Now, they laid the foundation to that last year, and you hope that continues. And, you know, it was looking like that point guard spot was going to be a combination of Jamarcus Lawrence, Sam Hoiberg, and Cale Jacobson. And, you know, uh, to me, Jamarcus Lawrence is not a natural point guard. Um, Sam Hoiberg was solid last year, but he certainly has his limitations, and, you know, listen, the whole situation changes if he has to play the point guard for an extended period of time. And then, you know, I will say this. Cale Jacobson is someone that I I think people need to keep their eye on, on Jacobson. He's from Ashland, and... Yeah, I've heard all I know is I heard I've heard great things about Jacobson from other high school coaches as he was going to Nebraska. And even when he gets to Nebraska, that you know, the reality is you don't redshirt someone you don't feel like could help you one day. And Nebraska redshirted Kale Jacobson last year. And Kale Jacobson is having a nice little foreign trip with Nebraska as they're in Spain currently playing right now. So he's a name to remember, Kale Jacobson. But speaking of names, Nebraska certainly moved quick in the wake of the Ulysses news to go back into the portal and land a guard just a few days ago. Jerron Coleman, a 6'5 senior guard out of Ball State, hit the portal early August, and Nebraska landed him shortly thereafter. And Coleman, he's a grad transfer. He averaged 14 points per game, almost five rebounds a game, and nearly four assists per game last year. Shot 35% from three at Ball State uh, last season. He was second-team All-Mac last year, and he started 21 games at Missouri two years ago. So he played two years at Ball State, one year at Missouri, then transferred back to Ball State, played one year back there, and now is at Nebraska. And that's a pretty big pickup for Nebraska with the Ulysses News. They needed another guard on this roster and one that can handle the ball. And although I think Coleman is more of a combo scoring guard than a true point guard, the reality is they they probably need to be a ball-handling-by-committee type team, and I think Coleman could really help in that regard. Coleman is older. Uh, He's been pretty productive. He's a 1,000-point scorer in his career, which isn't easy to do. I do think he's kind of a volume scorer, so he's going to have to maybe tighten that up. But again, I think 
You know, a pickup like this is huge with all signs pointing to Nebraska losing Eulis this year. So good work by Nebraska's coaching staff to land Coleman quickly. Uh, and then last note on Coleman. He was coached last year by former Nebraska basketball assistant Michael Lewis at Ball State. I know Michael Lewis personally. He's a great basketball mind, great coach. Michael Lewis was at UCLA under Mick Cronin for a while uh, as they got it going, and now he's at Ball State after you know UCLA went to the Final Four a couple years ago. Uh, Lewis, Lewis is a – I mean, he's a really good coach. So you know Coleman had some good coaching last year, so that's good as well. But interesting times for Nebraska basketball. No doubt about that. And then the other big news over the last you know, week or so was the Bob Wagger DUI resignation story. So Nebraska's tight ends coach resigned, Bob Wagger, just a few days before camp started after getting pulled over on suspicion of DUI. Um, remember, Wagger was the high school coach in Texas that had never coached in college before, and Rule kind of took a flyer on him. I think he was trying to – I mean, Wagger was really connected with high school coaches, and so you're, clearly there was an effort to try to – entrench themselves in the Texas football world. Uh, but again, Wegger had never coached in college. And so get, gets he resigns after suspension of suspicion of DUI. And, you know, I'll say this. This hire never made any sense to me. Never made any sense to me. I get it. You be like, oh, the Texas connection, da-da. Okay. I mean, come on. The other ways, there are other ways to make connections in Texas without having to hire a Texas high school coach. I thought it at the time, and I still think it today. Why Matt Rule didn't keep, or should, I should say retain, tight end coach Sean Becton from the old staff is, I just, it's perplexing to me. Becton, he recruited and developed at a pretty high level in that tight end room. He landed Thomas Fedoni, which is a real feather in the cap, right? Number one tight end recruit in 2021 in, in all of the country. And, you know, Becton developed Austin Allen, Travis Vokalek, Chancellor Brewington. Like, those were productive, legit players. There weren't a ton of bright spots over the last five years for Nebraska football, but the play of the tight ends, I would say, was one. One of the bright spots. So it's perplexing, in my opinion. Now, immediately replacing Wagger... On the full-time staff is going to be Josh Martin. Martin coached uh, has seven years of coaching experience. At, he coached tight ends at SMU at Arizona State. He was hired on the rule staff earlier this year as a special teams analyst, but now he's the full-time tight ends coach. So, you know, in all reality, pretty fortunate for Matt Rule to have a pseudo-experienced tight ends coach ready to slide in that spot. So kind of landed on their feet in some ways, and you could argue maybe a little bit of an upgrade as well. So there you go. little kind of a makeshift take-a-palooza, if you will. By the way, uh, to wrap this up, you know, speaking of basketball and foreign tours, Nebraska, or excuse me, Creighton is in uh, the Bahamas right now, and I was able to, you know, you watch a little bit of highlights. I was able to watch a little bit of, you know, the game on Flow Sports uh, on Sunday afternoon. And boy, Trey Alexander looked terrific. He had I think he finished with 29 points and 11 rebounds, and he was doing a little bit of everything. Got to the free throw line a lot, hit some mid-range shots. I think Trey just, he looked, the way he was moving, he looked terrific. But I will say in, in, in observing things, you know, Trey, Trey is, is obviously incredibly important because of how good he is, but when you, when you watch 
the team now without Kaluma, without without Ryan Nemhard. You know, it kind of appears like Trey Alexander is the only player that can consistently break his man down and get into the lane and make things happen. Like Stephen Ashworth, who I thought has looked pretty good, he kind of, he needs a ball screen to be able to really. He needs a little bit of help and an advantage to get in the paint. Baylor Shireman, you know, although is okay, he's not necessarily blessed with a a, a big time first step to get bat past people, and. You look at the rest of the roster in terms of who's going to play. Farabello's not quite built like that. Lawson, we'll see how he emerges. I think he's he, right now his thing is he's a pretty good catch and shoot guy. I just look at this roster and I I've always felt like athleticism was something that I had in my eye on, and you know the ability to break a guy down and get into the paint consistently. Boy, it's Trey Alexander's going to have to shoulder a heavy load. Now the good news is. You know, that's not that big of a deal when you got a rim presence like Kalkbrenner and you got shooting everywhere because it just creates more real estate, right? It's hard to break a guy down into a clogged up lane. It's a little easier if you got a lot of space. When you got, you know, Mason Miller and Isaac Trout and Ashworth and, uh, you know, Fairbello on the floor really spreading it out, you, you, you have more room to operate. So that's good. But it's just, you know, it's fun to sit there and get a, a little peek at what this Creighton team could look like. And, boy, I tell you, that big three of Kalkbrenner, Shireman, and Trey Alexander, that's as, you know, that's in the conversation of best big threes in all of college basketball. You'd maybe look at, like, Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, and Kevin McCuller as another big three. Duke's big three is really good. Uh but it just was fun to take a look at Trey Alexander, and boy, did he look good! And they are going to need him to continue that kind of that kind of action come the winter time. Look at me already talking basketball. I better wrap this up before I talk more hoops, baby. All right, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a five star rating and review. It always helps. Reminder: you can email me nick at nickbod.com. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Bob Podcast. A heard at Sports Network production.